Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast with your hosts Jason, Jacob, and Jeff. And this week we're going to talk about new hunters or, or getting into hunting. One of the questions we get asked all the time is, how do I get into hunting? How do I get started? Where do I start? And so we're going to cover that today. If, if you're a seasoned hunter, there, there might not be a ton in here because we want to keep it basic for people. We don't want to overwhelm somebody that is truly a new hunter. But you could also listen and, and then use this as a resource for anybody you know that, that is looking to get into hunting, has questions about it. We're hoping to provide a lot of good information for a new hunter in this episode. So a good place to start, actually, we were doing some research for this, and the ODNR actually has a, a pretty good link on their site. We'll, we'll put the link in the show notes, but it's Hunting for Beginners, and they they go through a lot of information on the hunter safety course, some of the mentorship programs, some of the courses that they offer, um, knowing your equipment, safety, the cooking aspect of it, which is a big one. A lot of people are that are getting into hunting as, as adults are getting into it because of the clean eating and the, and the, the really high quality food that you can get from hunting. So they've got recipe resources on there. So like I said, we'll, we'll link to that. I would say the, Best way to get into hunting, and this one is kind of hard, is if you have a mentor, right? We all grew up hunting with our dad, hunting with the guys at the cabin. They they all mentored us as young hunters. I would venture to guess that in your network or extended network of people, you know a hunter. It's an uncle. It's somebody at work. It's, you know, a friend of a friend that... If you genuinely want to learn how to hunt and you said, hey, can you ask your buddy if, if he can show me some things or, or take me out, I would imagine that they'd be happy to help. Most hunters that I know are good people. They, they want to help. They, they like hunting. They like sharing the hunt. I know if, some, you know if somebody at work or something came up to me and said, hey, man, I, you know, I've heard you hunt. You know, would you be interested? You know, could you show me some things? I'd be happy to. I'd take them out, I'd, you know, teach them what I can. And I would venture to guess that that most hunters would be that way. I'd, I'd like to think that most hunters would be that way, that they would like to help show you the ropes, teach you. If you don't have a mentor, if you can't find a mentor, the, basically the place you have to start or the place we're going to recommend you start is the hunter safety course. That's You have to have taken the hunter safety course to buy a hunting license. There is there is an apprentice hunting license, which allows you to sort of circumvent the hunter safety course, but you have to be with a mentor or somebody that's a licensed hunter. So if you can't find a mentor to, to teach you, then you probably can't find a mentor to take you out hunting. So the place you really need to start is the hunter safety course. And there again, the ODNR, that's where you're going to find your information on that. We've done... Some, some research here on the course and the different types of course, and I think Jeff's going to talk about that. So, Jeff, do you want to talk about the hunter safety course? Yeah, yeah. When it comes to hunter's education, um, there's currently three options. The first option is an in-person hunter safety course um, provided by the ODNR. It'll either be in an ODNR employee or a registered hunter safety course instructor, someone who is 
yeah, taking coursework to become an instructor. Right. They're certified volunteers, basically, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. And this this option is completely free. Um, you can go to the ODNR's website and find a course that you can sign up for on there. Um, they have courses all over the state. This course is uh, 8 to 12 hours long. When I took it, it was split up over two days. There was the main course day where you learned everything. And then there was another day that you basically had a recap of what you went over the previous day. And then you took the test. At the end of the course, you take a test. It's 100 questions long. You need to score 75%. And there's no, they talk about like, like, for example, firearm safety, but there's no shooting part of the course, right? It's just classroom stuff. You're not going onto a range and, and shooting a gun or a bow or anything, right? Correct. There's no no shooting portion. Um, a lot of times they will bring in bows, sometimes firearms to just show you, go over the parts. With the in-person one, uh, they talk about Ohio-specific laws, and they talk about a lot more specific things to Ohio. Uh, with the other options there are, uh, sometimes that's a little bit more absent um, with specific Ohio information. And also the in-person one focuses a lot more on safety, it, from my experience, compared to the online options. Okay. Uh, my wife took the online options, uh, the completely online one, which we'll all get into in a, in a second. And there was a little bit less about safety compared to when I and the people I know took the in-person hunter safety course. So one thing, and like it's been a long time since I've taken hunter safety, but I would bet that the one thing that you get from the in-person instruction is you can ask very specific detailed questions and the instructor is there to answer those questions. Whereas if you're doing the online options, you don't really have somebody to ask questions of, right? You just go through the material, take the the quizzes at the end of each unit, and then you take the final test. Correct, correct. So if you, I guess where, where I'm going with that is, if you have the, the, the option and your schedule allows and there's one near you, I would tend to steer people toward the in-person instruction versus the online options. I absolutely agree. Yeah. It's just, I think you're going to get a better experience. You're going to get more information and the instructor can kind of tailor the information to the type of questions that are being asked. So before we, I guess, before we keep going, the three types are the in, the in-person instructor that we just talked about. You have the home study course, and then you have the online hunter education. And those two have some, aspect of online but they're a little different like the hunter the home study is is like the in-between between the in-person instruction and the online correct but correct why don't you give the rest of the details on the other two since we've covered the in-person instruction yeah yeah the home study one is a four-hour online course and that's uh an estimated time depends on how quick of a read you are how well you are comprehending the information, um, but they estimate that it's four hours in person and then a two to four hour class and time to take the test. The home study course costs $15. 
And that money goes to the vendor that provides the online uh, coursework. Um, the ODNR does not get that money. And that's an important distinction. The in-person course is free. Both of the online, the online and home study cost $15. Yeah. And the, I said it was four hours of online, but you can also stop and pick up whenever you want. You know, your, your work is saved. That's one of the nice benefits of it is that it's more flexible for your schedule, right? You're not sitting in a classroom for eight to 12 hours. You, you know, you can start and stop. Correct. Correct. Yep. And at the end of the uh, home study one, you take the exact same test as the people who did the in-person one and have to score the exact same 75%. Do you know, are you going to an existing in-person test or like to, because the, the, I guess to summarize, right, the home study is online learning you you learn you go through the units you take the quiz at each at the end of each unit and you take a test and then you've got to take a voucher saying you've passed the home study to then go take an in-person final exam correct and it's the same hundred question test that you would take for the in-person and you've got to score the same 75 percent or better are you going to a instructor-led course to take that or is it how do you set that up it's a it's a separate course for the people who have done the home study okay because they they do do a little bit of instructor-led stuff first and then go into the the final test so it is a separate course there's separate locations that you have to and times that you have separate scheduling it's not like you're just going to go in whenever there's a a time when they're having when they're offering this last portion of the home study and the final exam correct correct right my my understanding is those fill up pretty quick too i don't know that for sure but from the uh, i had a buddy that looked into it and he had trouble scheduling the testing portion because most people tend to lean towards that option, I think, where they do, it's kind of a blend between the two. Um, so it was, they don't, uh, he was, he lives down in like the Columbus area. So it's probably not quite as big of a hunting, you know, cause it's more metropolitan. Um, but he was having trouble finding a location to go do the test at or get into a class quote unquote, uh, for the home study course it was like he was going to have to wait till like the following year to get into it because they only offer it so many times throughout the year and i think they fill up pretty quick and you can find where to take uh both the in-person hunter safety course and uh if you do the home study option where to take the final test at on the odnr website we'll put a link in the show notes yeah we'll be all of the links that we talk about today, all the resources we talk about today, we'll be sure to have those in the show notes for you guys. Jeff, one question for you. Is there, or do you know, is there a time period from the time you finish the home study to the time you have to take the final exam? I'm not positive on that, but I believe there is not a time period. Okay. As long as you have that voucher saying you passed the home study portion, you can then go take the final exam, that last part of in-course instruction and the final exam. Correct. Okay. The final option is the online 
course. It's 100% online. You have to be 12 years or older to use this option. Um, anyone under 12 years either has to do the in-person option or the home study option. With the 100% online one, you will have to take a quiz at the end of every chapter and pass, and then you will take a final test. This one, my wife took two years ago when it was a relatively new option, mm -hmm. and I found that it had almost zero Ohio-specific information. You know, so it won't regarding tell laws you laws and stuff. Yeah, yeah, regarding laws and sometimes even kind of led you astray with some laws because it talks about things that either are a hundred percent legal and talks about how you can't do it, or talks about things that are illegal in Ohio as hunting options. Um, so it, there was one point where it kind of led you astray. The other thing with this home one is that it's a lot more hunter's education as opposed to hunter's safety. Oh, okay. There's a lot less information about safety and a lot more information about educating hunters on firearms and hunting equipment and conservation. There was a lot more about conservation and you needed to know specific dates for things that had happened in conservation. No, oh, really? Yeah. So it it there was it was a lot more of a uh, hunter's education course that have educated hunters compared to safe hunters. I wonder if that's been because you said that's kind of two years old at this point, right? I right, wonder if that's. Right. I'm hope I'm kind of hoping that at least the Ohio specific stuff where there's contradictions, like I'm hoping that that's been fixed yeah yeah updated since then if anybody out there has taken the the online course recently and knows that that's been changed shoot us a shoot us a note i'd like to know maybe we could uh reach out to somebody from the odnr and have them on the show and just to talk about yeah and the, you, the online options you, or you the can, hunter safety yeah you can reach out to the vendor for the online line course as well with questions so that's also an option if you are a little confused about something, there is a an option to reach out to someone from the vendor. Um, how good that service is, I don't know. My wife did not try it. Right. Uh, with the 100% online course, I would really only recommend this for adults who at least have some sort of knowledge about hunting already. Maybe someone who is had an apprentice license for a few years because it, it is lacking in a lot of the safety aspect of things. So I, I really wouldn't recommend it for, you know, someone who is a, a child, you know, someone who's older, older than 12, but not, you know, 18. I wouldn't recommend right. it for that age frame because first off, I think it would be kind of difficult for someone in that age range to take this course because there was a lot of very specific information about gun parts and uh, dates of things, and it won't give them the safety aspect of hunter safety. Right, okay. Well, that's good to know then. Uh, one thing I wrote down here in my notes is is the 
the different units that are in the, I think like the study guide or, or the different modules in the online. So I was just going to read through those real quick just to kind of give you an idea of the type of topics that are covered. So unit one, they've got introduction to hunter education. Unit two is know your firearm equipment. Unit three, basic shooting skills. Unit four, basic hunting skills. Unit five, know your muzzleloader equipment. Unit six, know your bow hunting equipment. Unit seven is be a safe hunter. Unit eight is hunting from elevated stands. Unit nine is be a responsible and ethical hunter. Unit 10, preparation and survival skills. And unit 11 is understanding wildlife. And one thing that on the unit nine, be a responsible and ethical hunter, that reminded me of a Aldo Leopold quote. And it says, ethical behavior is doing the right thing when no one else is watching, even when doing the wrong thing is legal. And I just think that's really fitting. I think it's really important to remember as us as hunters, we're typically doing our activity alone. You're out in the woods by yourself. It's easy to kind of bend the law, but we kind of need to hold ourselves to a, to a higher standard and just be ethical and, and most importantly, be safe. So that's, that's a big takeaway. I, I think that I'd like to make sure people get from this. So that being said, we've got some, uh, well, before we get into that, some of the units in there were know your firearm, know your bow, know your muzzleloader. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on where where you think people should start. And I guess, let me back up. Are we looking at this as getting into deer hunting, or are we get, looking at this as getting into hunting? I was thinking that this was getting into hunting because... Just general. Yeah, not, not every person might be interested in deer hunting. And also, getting into deer hunting, for me, in my opinion, that's going straight from never playing the game before to the major leagues. Right. I, I'm glad you said that because I'm on board with you. We all started off hunting small game, rabbits, squirrels, and I think it's a, I think there's not as much of it done these days. Everybody wants to jump into shooting big giant bucks, and I think you miss out on a lot of the things learned in the squirrel woods or, you know, walking around with a shotgun trying to, shoot rabbits and I would I guess I, I guess what I'm saying is I would recommend starting with small game if you can get a 22 and go shoot squirrels or go you know get a 20 gauge or something and, and shoot squirrels and that's a great way to get started people are gonna w- will be more willing to let you on their property if you ask you know hey you know could I walk your woodlot and see if I could shoot a couple squirrels I I would venture to guess you'll get a lot more yeses asking that than, hey, I was wondering if I could go back there and try and shoot a big giant buck. Right. Like you're, you right. know, it's right. also a lot easier to find good places to hunt small game on public land. Yeah, very than true. it is to find a good place to hunt deer on public land. You can go to just about any public land and go out and hunt squirrel or rabbit. And be successful. Be successful, yeah. Without too much, you know, you don't have to go three miles back in. You can pretty much come off the parking area for for the most part and get up into the woods and sit still for a little bit and you'll start to see squirrels moving around, you know. Right. Find some nut trees and you're in the money. So 
that then takes me back to the question I had for you guys. Do you think, and I guess this would be more deer hunting specific. So let's say you're either jumping right into deer hunting. You're not, we're not talking about jumping right into shooting big giant bucks. You just want to get into deer hunting. You want to shoot a deer or you've done some small game hunting and now you want to get into deer hunting. Do you think people should start with a bow or do you think they should start with a gun? Uh, I personally think gun. I'm a firearm starting opinion here Um, for two reasons. One, I'm assuming or hoping that you start with small game, which 99.9% of that is done with a firearm of some sort. Yeah. Um, So you'd be familiar with a firearm. Uh, So that's one reason I lean that way. Uh, But the primary reason I lean that way is just efficacy. Not that today's modern bows, crossbows aren't efficient, but you can have much worse marksmanship with a firearm and still have success than with a bow. Right. So that's my primary reason. I mean, just every year on, you know, the social media sites, you see people person after person wounding deer, and these aren't new hunters. With a bow. With a bow. Yeah. Um, I you mean, can also are, wound a deer with a gun. Right. But... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all about shot placement, which you'll learn in your hunter safety course, but it's much more likely to wound a deer with a bow, especially if you're an inexperienced hunter with your first interaction with the species you're hunting, because obviously you're going to be all amped up. Your heart's going to be beating a hundred miles an hour. You know, it's even experienced hunters make mistakes and wound animals. But I feel like a gun gives you more leeway for a quote unquote bad shot and still having a positive result. Yeah. Cause bow. I would, I would second that. I would say start with a gun because you can even have a good shot on a deer with a bow. And if you're not, you don't have somebody that's an experienced tracker or, or has tracked deer before. Like if you shoot high in the lungs, you might not have a ton of blood to follow. Right. That's a dead deer. Right. Double lunged him. But if it's high lung. Right. It's lungs are going to fill up with the blood and it's not going to pour right. out. Right. Yeah. That could be a, a, a hard deer to find. It was a good ethical killing shot but it might just be a hard deer to find and i would i would just hate for somebody's first experience shooting a deer to be one a bad memory because right, right. wounding a deer, a deer. Is, yeah. and wounding a deer is like i mean it happens to everyone but it's a gut-wrenching it's upsetting horrible. experience yeah. right and i would never want that to be someone's first experience with deer hunting right i could easily see that turning somebody off of it you know they shoot a deer in the guts and it goes for miles and it's like i can't believe i just did that to a living breathing thing i don't think i want to do this again right also if you put a bad shot you know a spine shot on a deer with a bow and you know do drop it it's gonna need a follow-up shot and it's a lot less gruesome if you're doing a follow-up shot with a gun than it is with a bow yeah it just it's a lot easier to do it with a gun than a bow and it it just it's a pretty horrifying experience when you do have to do a follow-up shot especially for a new hunter yeah and it's 
much easier with a with a gun than it is with a bow. Yeah, and uh, I mean, kind of along those same lines too with a gun. Not that it's not an intimate experience, but bow hunting is much more intimate. Right. Um, you're much closer to the animal. You can see and hear a lot more when you're bow hunting. So I feel like if it's your first time killing a big game animal, it may be better to do it from a distance so you don't have to necessarily hear you know, the groans and moans and whatever may happen when you shoot it. Right. Um, you know, I just, part of the game, I mean, when you kill an animal, it doesn't feel good, obviously. Um, right. So, it, you know, there's noises and whatever. So I feel like with a gun, that kind of removes you a little bit from that, especially for your first kill. Uh, the only The only reason that I would possibly play devil's advocate with a bow it's just opportunity. There's much more opportunity with a bow, a much longer season. So if you're someone who can't hunt with a firearm because of the timing of the seasons or whatever, and your only option would be to hunt during bow season, then obviously I recommend hunting. I mean, right. I think everyone should get into it. I, you know, I'm passionate about it and I love doing it. But if you have an option, I would recommend fire one of the firearm seasons. Ideally, I would say probably the standard week-long shotgun season which now is not only shotgun obviously you can use um, certain rifle cartridges uh, but that would be the my first choice followed by muzzle loader and then bow hunting would probably be my i would recommend up until this year if, if you have with the new public land laws but i would have recommended muzzle loader first if you have if you have private property that you can hunt, I would recommend muzzleloader first, just for the fact that there's less hunting activity in the woods, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit more inviting for a uh, a first time hunter. Gun season, typically there's a lot more people, and it's it's hard to find a place where you're not sitting right on someone right next to someone especially if you're hunting public land so i i would recommend muzzleloader just because it's a a little less uh crowded and you can kind of go out there and learn without there being a lot of other people around pushing you out of your spot yeah the only downside with that is if recent history plays into it it's freezing cold during muzzleloader season. Yeah, it's been pretty terrible the past couple muzzleloader seasons. When they had the early doe-only muzzleloader season, that would have been a good option as well. Um, One argument with muzzleloader is there's there's a higher barrier to entry on learning to shoot a muzzleloader, right? There's, if you dump a double powder charge in there or something, you're not thinking, right? right? There's things that you can do well, it's one of those things. Some people say it's safer because it's single shot right? versus someone who can shoot, you know, three different in short succession shots. But there's a lot of things that if you don't know what you're doing, you know, you're messing with black powder, which is by nature explosive. Right. Not that, I mean, your bullets that you're shooting out of your regular firearms obviously have a exploding propellant in them also. But yeah all contained within a casing (laughs) so yeah i don't know it's 
Yeah, definitely. I'd say I would agree with you. It's probably a bigger barrier to entry, but um, it's a cool thing to do though too. It's it's I don't know. I like muzzle loading. It kind of brings you back to like the yeah. old days, so to speak. Yeah, how your grandpa hunted or whatever. You know, I don't know. I think I would maybe summarize all of this with do what is easiest for you. If you've got somebody that has a muzzle loader, but they don't have a shotgun or something and they're willing to let you borrow it, then start with a muzzle loader. If it, you know, whatever is going to get you in the woods basically is, is, and, and allow you to enjoy it. This should all be enjoyable. One thing I also want to add is whatever implement that you decide to hunt with when you're learning the deer hunt, uh, first deer hunting, take the time to practice with it. Whether yeah. it's a gun, a muzzle loader, a, a crossbow, a compound bow, take the time to practice yep. because the the time to learn, you know, how it functions is not when there's a deer standing in front of you. Yep. It's, you need to practice beforehand. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's just doing the wildlife a service. I mean, you can't. It's not ethical to go out in the woods with a tool, so to speak, uh, that you don't know how to use. You know, you're trying, in reality, you're planning, fully intending on taking an animal's life. So it's just out of respect for the animal, you need to understand the tool you're using and how to use it effectively so you can have the cleanest ethical kill uh, possible. Yeah. And the one of the beautiful things about today's day and age with technology and youtube and stuff is if you have any questions about how your gun works or or how to take this apart or what happens if this jams like there's so much good free information available online there's also bad information available online but you can typically weed through the good from the bad and it's it makes it easier to get questions answered the other thing is you know if you went to a uh a gun shop to buy your gun, take it back there and ask them questions or, or ask them questions before you leave. They'll be happy or should be happy to, to answer any questions you have about your gun and how it works or, you know, how to get it sighted in, that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, I would agree. Take the time to learn, know where your shots are going to go before you go out in the woods and, and try to shoot an animal. I would say the other benefit of starting with a firearm is... It's a shorter season, but I think you have to worry about less. So I think you're, for a newbie, I think your opportunity or your chances for success are potentially higher in that you don't need to be so stringent about scent and which way the wind's blowing. I mean, when we were kids, we we never even talked about which way the wind was blowing. We just went and sat in the woods because it looked like there was some deer sign around here and hoped deer walked by. And so much today you hear stuff on like how to get into hunting and it's somebody that's a seasoned expert hunter talking to people about how to be a seasoned expert hunter. And it's, I would bet that that's not how, that's not where they started, right? Right. They just went in the woods and they followed grandpa out to the stand or they, they went with their dad or their uncle or something. And, you know, you just went and sat in the woods. We, you know, we've talked on here before we grew up hunting from the ground. We didn't, we never hunted out of tree stands as kids or anything like that. You just went out and sat in front of a tree right? or, or next to a tree and try to find a tree that's wider than you are. <laughs> right. And try to find some deer sign, a deer trail or some deer droppings or some 
scrapes or rubs or something. And yeah, it looks like uh, there's some tracks here. I'm going to sit here. And I think that there's there's so much detail and nuance and intricacies that you can get into in hunting. And we all love to talk about it and strategize on wind and how should I approach. And But a lot of that is just noise when it comes to a new hunter you know a lot of that is if if you're trying to hunt mature bucks you know if if you're just looking to go shoot a deer just go sit in the woods and have fun if you don't see a deer no big deal you you had fun sitting in the woods watching the squirrels or you know well and you have to take the mindset too i mean anytime you're in the woods you're learning something right so if you go sit in the woods and you don't see a deer at least you learned something. The deer aren't where you were. Right. Let's figure out why. Right. Or they're at least not in this <laughs> right. spot at this time of year. Right. So we need to figure out where are they now. So it's not wasted. You know, so many times people go sit and they're like, oh, I wasted my day. I didn't see anything. It's like, well, you didn't waste your day. Right. I mean, if you just take a step back and think about it, your day wasn't wasted. You realized, you know, the deer aren't here right now. And now I need to figure out why and where they are so i mean it's i i never kind of sit in the woods as a wasted day man i it's just like at this point it's like uh it's it's like meditation for me sometimes man you just go out there and sit quiet in the woods man it's just good for the soul yeah yeah even if i don't see anything you know at least i got to get away from the noise yeah and that's one of those things too uh, people always say oh i didn't see anything it's like, well, you weren't looking then because there's plenty to see in the yeah. woods. You saw plenty. You just didn't see any deer. Right. Yeah. You know, I guarantee you saw plenty. And if you just watch, I mean, you can even watch other wildlife and it'll teach you about what deer are doing. You know, I mean, when I'm in the, I've been bow hunting before and just by how the squirrels are acting, you know, if a deer's coming. You know, I've seen squirrels respond because they start getting all jittery and barking and you're like, oh, these darn squirrels, shut up. And then before you know it, they go silent and a deer comes walking by. Right. You know, so it's just until you've experienced that, you don't really know that maybe by those squirrels causing a racket, they know something's coming or sense something. And that could be a deer. It could be another hunter. It could be a coyote. It could be a lot of things, but... Yeah, that's a good tip for new hunters. If a squirrel's barking and it's not barking at you, it's barking for a reason, and you should try to figure out what it's barking for because a lot of times it's something that would be of interest to you. It's either another hunter, it's a deer, it's a coyote. Sometimes it's just another squirrel. Right. But a lot of times if a squirrel's barking it's not barking at you, you should try to figure out what it is barking at. Yeah. So I guess to kind of transition from the tips thing, there are some good resources for new hunters. And one of those that we wanted to kind of point out is Steve Ranella's book. He's got a he's got a two volume series. It's called The Complete Guide to Hunting Butching. Let me just start over on that. The Complete Guide to Hunting, Butchering, and Cooking Wild Game. And so, Volume 1, like I said, it's two volumes. Volume 1 is Big Game. Volume 2 is Small Game. And really, there's a lot of great info. If you're looking for a book resource like that that you can flip through, tons of good information in there about 
everything really. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is a complete guide as far as clothing type of firearms, fire, basic firearm parts and function and, um, just all kinds of information in there. And another good thing with that book is if you're one of those people that want to start with uh, deer because you don't want to eat small game or you don't think small game's interesting, give the small game one a read before you make a final decision on that because it they have a lot of good recipes in there and it really makes small game hunting interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I own both volumes. Uh, I've read both pretty much cover to cover. Uh, it's like you said, it's a phenomenal book for to get a complete start to finish. Uh, it goes into enough detail to keep you interested and teach. I mean, anyone that reads that book will learn something. Uh, but it's not so detailed and fine-tuned that a new hunter would open it and be like, I don't have a clue what this is talking about. Right. You're not going to um, go cross-eyed because right. it's way in the weeds. But. Right. I mean, he did a great job of putting it together. I mean, in their large volumes, I don't know the exact page count on them, but I think they're in the 400, 500 page. Both volumes are, I mean, they're very in-depth and complete. Um, they go species by species and then... Like Jeff mentioned, there's recipes in there, and I would highly recommend, I'm not even new hunters, I'd highly recommend any hunter uh, who's interested in learning about hunting a different species or even wants to learn more about hunting their own species or want recipes. I mean, I'd recommend everyone buy. They're not super expensive. Yeah. For how large and complete they are, they're actually very cheap. Yeah. We'll have uh, links to those books in in the show notes, and they... uh, I just, I guess I would just second what, what Jacob is saying. You know, it's, it's a great book. It's a great resource. The, the one thing I really like about them is they they put tons of pictures in there, whether it's photographs or illustrated pictures, they've got tons of pictures. And with this type of stuff, picture goes a long way to, mm-hmm. to help you understand what, you know, you could write words to convey the information, but it, it would just take so much describing. Whereas a picture, you can just see it then. And there's lots of pictures in, in these books that takes us into, I don't, I don't think today we're going to get into a ton of strategy. Well, I guess, I guess we can talk a little bit about like just finding a spot in the woods. It's going to be high level. Cause like we said, we don't want to inundate people with like, Oh, you need to be on the downwind side of a bedding area, you know, because a new hunter's like, "What's a bedding area? What's right. downwind? Right? Do I need What's... to be downwind of my bed? What are you talking about?" <laughs> right. It just it just confuses everything, and so I think basically there's public land in Ohio where you'll you know the ODNR again is a good resource for finding the public land where anybody's allowed to go hunt. Public land's great. We hunt public land. Anybody can use it. Downfall of public land is anybody can use it. So sometimes it's crowded. There's other hunters there wanting to use the resource. They just they have just as much right to be there as you do. And you have just as much right to be there as they do. New hunter, experienced hunter, non-hunter. Right. Everybody's allowed to be there. So anybody that gets all uppity because you're in their spot on public land, they're in your spot. Right. It's everybody's spot. Right. So I... Sometimes everybody just needs 
just calm down a little just bit. Just chill out a little bit, yeah. man. We're all just having fun. Right. We're all out hunting or we're all out enjoying the outdoors. Right. Just take I mean, a deep if breath. you're walking in on public land and you see another hunter already in a spot, obviously respect them, respect their spot. Right. right. But that's if you get there tomorrow earlier than them, that's your spot. Yeah, and I, and you know I don't what I mean, mean like it's anything. I don't think is, we're condoning that per right. se. Is like, oh, I know this right. guy's hunting over here. I'm going to try and steal his spot. That's not right. it. That's not but, the point. But right, I mean, you're you have just as much right to that tree as he does, so to speak. But if he's already in it and you know that he hunts there, out of respect, go find your own spot. Right. It kind of goes back to like the ethics, right? There's no law that says, oh, that guy's hunting there, so I can't right. hunt there but there, it's just kind of like a i don't know an unwritten code of conduct if you will like i don't want somebody setting up on the the tree right next to me so i'm not going to set up on the tree right next to somebody else you know right. like oh it, he was there first i'm going to go find another spot but public land may be a good place if you know somebody that, that owns some land that's another good opportunity to get out there and just high level if you're Small, all animals are going to have different habitat, right? And we, we, we said we weren't going to limit this to specifically deer, but maybe just look in that complete guide to hunting, cooking. They talk about different habitats for different animals. White-tailed deer, you know, they're, they're sort of famously known as creatures of the edge. They want edge habitat. So where, where the habitat transitions from crop to woods or overgrown field to uh, to a hardwood stand those edges even within the woods right if you if you're in kind of open timber and you get into a thicker brushier section you could almost guarantee that there's a deer trail running along that edge right that's what you're looking for with deer squirrel you're looking for nut trees rabbits you're looking for brushy kind of overgrown areas where they can get in and hide there's tons of online resources the odnr can help you with that kind of stuff we don't we can't cover all of that on on this episode and like i said we want to keep this super high level as to not overwhelm a new hunter it should be fun you don't you know as a new hunter just go out and experience it and learn and if it didn't work then try something else next time but like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode one of the reasons that a lot of adult hunters or adults are getting into hunting is for the food aspect. And so we definitely wanted to talk about food, recipes, wild game, wild meat is a great source of good, clean meat. I know we all eat a lot of wild game in our houses. And you hear a lot of, you know, you'll, you'll hear people, oh, I, it's gamey or I don't, it's gross. I don't really like to eat it. I would argue that they're either handling it wrong in the field or they're just not cooking it right because I love wild game, man. It's yeah. good stuff. And a lot has, which I think you, I think you're going to get into this more, but a lot has changed in the world of wild game cooking in the last 10 years Yeah, because there's some f- big name famous chefs that have put out some real quality stuff that can teach the layman, so to speak how to make some pretty incredible dishes out of their harvest versus just your typical deer stew, you know, that everybody's grandpa made. Yep. 
Yeah, Gordon Ramsay actually really enjoys to cook with wild game. Really? So, yeah, if you ever are looking for a recipe, try searching that on the internet. Because uh, he, he actually has a, a short, I don't think there's a whole lot of episodes, but a, a hunting series where it's uh, Field the Fork. Oh, okay. So, again, the ODNR has some links to a couple different resources for this they they actually have some of their own videos that they've put together when i was looking at them today some of them look pretty dated they're they're old uh cooking videos but you know the recipes are still good it's just the videos are kind of you know they look like they're from the 80s or something you know or maybe early 90s but that's not to say that the recipes aren't good another good tip for uh someone who's learning to cook with uh game meat wild game is don't try to compare it to something else like venison's like beef. So I'm going to try to cook it like beef. That's a good tip. Venison's not beef. It, it's different. Get a recipe for venison and follow it. Yes. Right. Same thing with wild turkey and domestic, you know, a wild turkey is not a butterball. No. <laughs> if you no. try to cook a wild turkey like a butterball, chances are it's you're, not going to be very good. You're I mean, going to be it, disappointed. It be. Yeah. Yeah. But. A wild turkey is not a butterball, so don't try to compare it to something that you already know and cook it like that. Right. The biggest difference that you'll find is just how lean most wild game is. Now, there are, when you get into, and I'll be honest, I don't have a ton of duck or goose experience, but you you know, you you hear about, you know, the fat in ducks and things like that, and I I just can't speak to that real real well. Um, But with deer turkey that kind of thing like it's just lean meat which makes it good healthy meat but it cooks very differently than a beef steak or something that's marbled with fat like right deer meat just doesn't get marbled with fat like right right and like jeff said too it's not only be careful substituting you know venison in for beef necessarily i mean it substitutes very well you just need to know how to cook venison versus beef it's different but the thing that I also want to say in terms of the comparison, like a venison steak will never taste like a beef steak. Right. That's not saying one is better than the other, but if you're in the mood for a steak, a traditional steak, which would be a beef steak, you're not going to get that from a venison steak. You're just not. So if you want a beef steak, eat a beef steak. Right. Don't try to eat a venison steak and, you know, it cure your beef steak itch. It's just not going to work. Right. So with that being said, some of the resources that we'd probably steer you guys to, there's there's two good ones that I have. The uh, Steve Rinella's book, The Complete Guide to Hunting, Butchering, Butchering, and Cooking Wild Game, like we mentioned, they've got good recipes in there. Another resource is, it's called Modern Carnivore. And so you can go to Modern Carnivore, or excuse me, I guess it's just moderncarn.com. And like I said, we'll have links to all this in the show notes so you don't have to remember the URL. You just look in the show notes. But they've got recipes on there. One, when I was on the website today, one that they had on there that I I really want to try this year, especially with you and your Squirrel Grand Slam, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the goals episode, is they had buffalo buffalo style squirrel legs on there. And the picture they had, like this stuff looked top notch, man. And I was like, man, that sounds good. Buffalo anything is good, so well, it's got to be true. good. 
but it just like thinking about squirrel meat, like it just, right. le- it just lends itself perfectly to that. Like right. I just, my mouth starts watering when I think about that. And, yeah. I don't uh, know why I never thought about that. Like, yeah. cause yeah, now that you mention it, it's like, oh yeah, it's perfect for that. Right. Right. And so that recipe's on modern carnivores website. And the other thing I've kind of found when I've searched through these recipes is it causes me to use more of the animal. Yeah. Because you look in these recipes and they're calling for, you know, a piece of the deer, so to speak. We'll use the deer. It's probably the most common, um, you know, a part of the deer that it's like, oh, I've been throwing that away for years. Yeah. You know, something where it's like, you know, some of them get, and some of them get a little exotic, you know, yeah. tongues and different things, stomach. You know, I've seen some where you take the stomach and rinse it out and then use it to, as like a casing and some of that's a little exotic unless you're experienced with cooking and know what you're doing. But it's just interesting to see like all the different parts of the deer that you actually can eat and yeah. use. When you start looking through some of these recipes, you can kind of see like, I've been throwing away a lot of good food. Yeah. Well, that's where I guess going back to the goals episode, trying deer heart. That's, that's my next cooking resource is Hank Shaw. That's where trying deer heart came from was I read about it in there. Before we get there, one last thing I want to touch on on Modern Carnivore is they are doing, new this year, they're doing a six-part series where they're basically sort of doing this. They're following three new hunters as as they kind of take the journey into hunting, and, and it's a video series, so we'll link to that video series, but I didn't get a chance to watch any of them before this, but it looks like it's going to be a cool series to watch and follow along, so they're that's probably another good resource for new hunters or to direct for experienced hunters to direct new hunters to. It may even also be a good resource for experienced hunters to watch and remember like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for so long. I completely forgot about that part of it when I was learning because I guess a little bit of a tangent is I'm shocked sometimes at how little non-hunting public knows or understands about hunting like when i get to talking about the laws and the regulations and the bag limits and the seasons like people sometimes people are surprised to hear that like oh i i had no clue i just thought you just went out and shot one or you know it's like no 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 there's you got to buy a tag and it's regulated and it's like so i i guess where i'm going with that is i think it's good for experienced hunters to be talking about those things to non-hunters so that they don't, it's like an advocacy thing for hunting in that non-hunting public votes. And if they understand that like, this is well-regulated, this is safe, then they're more likely to be okay with it. Whereas if they think it's just a bunch of people out in the woods with guns shooting anything that moves. Right. I mean, you know, I could easily see how that could be off-putting to people. Yeah. I mean, in reality, I mean, if people are of the mindset that we're just out there killing the animals, that's negative, but in reality, hunters do more good for the animals than bad. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, because it is so regulated and the, the, you know, the financial side of it, you know, it's just people just don't realize that there is a lot of rules and regulations in place to the point where it's regulated to the point where hunters cannot cause a species to go extinct. It just can't right. happen. You know, we cannot go out and shoot every white-tailed deer. Right. It's just impossible. We can't do it there's regulations in place to prevent it. 
So it's, and people just don't realize that, you know, it's not just me going out and shooting a deer because my freezer is empty any time of the year I want. There's a season, right. there's a, a way to go about it. There's a lot of financial support that goes into the species. Right. Licenses and tags and it's all very well regulated as hunters know. But I find that the non-hunting public, if their parents, you know, their dad or their uncle or whatever, whatever didn't hunt, they may not have a clue. And so it's good to be talking to people about that. So to get back to Hank Shaw and cooking, he is a, he's a professional chef that specializes in wild game. Like that's his thing. And he's done a lot of great, he's got a lot of great recipes. His, his website is honest-food.net, but probably the easiest way to find him is just search for hunter, angler, gardener, cook. That's kind of his, his online presence. He's got a, a couple books that are great cooking resources. He's and they're they're all kind of funny. So his deer book is or venison book is Buck Buck Moose Recipes and Techniques for Cooking Deer, Elk, Moose, Antelope, and Other Antlered Things. He's got other books, another you know, for for uh, waterfowl and stuff called Duck Duck Goose. And his small game book is is called Rabbit Quail Cottontail. So I really like his books because it's, it's, it's a cookbook, but it's not just a cookbook in the sense that it's, here's the recipe, here's the ingredients. Like he talks a lot about the, I don't want to say the science, but like the why behind you're doing, behind why you're cooking this meat this way, which then allows you to apply those techniques or those principles to recipes of your own creation right you 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 kind of understand that like the meat venison for example behaves this way because it's really lean when you cook it and so if you keep these things in mind no matter what you're cooking it'll turn out good sort of thing and so he's got a lot of really good recipes like i said he's he's got a section in his book on what he calls the wobbly bits so I don't, I forget if I mentioned it, you know, if I talked about it as the wobbly bits in the goals episode, but that's any of the, like the non-traditional muscle cuts, right? It's heart, it's tongue, it's liver. Um, what else does he have in there? I don't know, tripe, which I think is like that stomach, stomach lining. lining and yeah. So he's got tons and tons of great resources on cooking wild game wild meats of all different kinds and uh so i would definitely if you're looking for good recipes i would definitely recommend his books check them out online that sort of thing because it's it's a great resource from the food standpoint so with that being said do you guys have anything else we want to cover before we wrap it up today shaking heads no no nothing no i don't think so i mean it's just, it's tough because there's like so right. much. There's so much. But we want to try and keep it high level. You know, I mean, and I guess stay tuned in future episodes. We'll probably get into some of these topics a little more in detail. Like we had talked about in a future, you know, once future episode possibly doing like you've shot a deer, now what type right. episode. Yeah. There's just so much, but again, a lot of that's in the Steve Ranella book, you know, if you really, yeah. I mean, it will walk you through processing the deer and all that and how to field dress an animal. All that's in that, in the Steve Ranella books, I know. 
but again, that comes back to kind of having a mentor because there's a lot of tips and tricks and, you know, things you can, that you learn just by doing it. Yeah. But it's kind of one of those things too, that once you do it, they're all very similar. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all mammals. Yeah. And mammals are for the most part constructed the same way. Yeah. So once you get in there, it's intimidating, but once you get in there and see what's in there, it's all familiar. It's the same stuff that we have inside of us. Right. So I yeah, just don't want so to. So I guess let us know if, if, cause we, like Jacob said, we, we kicked around the idea of maybe doing like a multi-part series on getting into hunting where we can go into some more details on finding a place to hunt and, and, you know, either getting access to private land or, you know, where are some good public land resources? And then once you're there, how do you find a spot to sit and, you know, some, some basic tracking stuff. And we would do like a multi-part segment or series on that. If that's something people are interested in. So let us know, send us a message on online, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, if that's something you'd be interested in. Yeah. And just as a final tip here, you know, cause we did kind of get in the weeds with some of the stuff, but as a new hunter, just go out in the woods or the field and have fun. It's supposed to be fun. So go have fun. Right. right. I think a lot of people lose sight of that this is fun. This is supposed to be enjoyable. Yeah. You know, that's what hooks every one of us from day one. You know, if we went out the first time and hated it, we wouldn't be hunters. Yeah. You know, we enjoy what we do. Don't let all the, you know, the big bucks, so to speak, and the big buck craze. And I never see deer like that. Well, neither does 95% of the people that are hunting. Yeah. You know, just because one person on Facebook shot a 200-inch whitetail yesterday. He's one of two in the state. You know what I mean? Like, it's, that's yep. not normal. <laughs> yep. So just remember, keep your real, you know, keep your head clear and expectations realistic. Enjoy yourself. That's what it's all about. Again, we're not, we're by no means professionals. We yeah. have the same struggles that everybody else has. Yep. And, and hunting's a journey, right? I mean, you don't start off, being an expert, you, you know, you continue to learn, right? Do try new things and right. Hey, that didn't work. So how can I tweak that so that it does work next time? Or, or maybe I get a little closer next time or whatever. It's a journey that, you know, so just enjoy the journey. I guess with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. So like I mentioned, we'll have all the links in the show notes for everything we talked about today. Follow us on Facebook at Ohio Huntsman and on Instagram at Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you get notified when there's new shows. And we'd really appreciate it if you would give us a review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show and, and help get the word out and tell your buddies about it. And with that, thanks for listening.